Welcome to the Travel Like a Boss podcast, where we interview location-independent entrepreneurs that travel the world like a boss by being their own boss. Here's your host, Johnny FD. Hey bosses, this is Johnny, and welcome to episode 224 of the Travel Like a Boss podcast. I'm here today with Alexandra Kozma. How are you doing? Hey Johnny, thanks for having me. Did I finally say your name right after like all these, all these years? Oh yes, you're right. I didn't even... <laughs> Yes, you got it right this time. Wow. Okay. I'm really, really happy. <laughs> it took two years, but you made it, Johnny. You know what? Thank you so much. I'm, I'm so happy. <laughs> I'm a slow learner. What can you say? Uh, so where are you in the world? I'm currently in Chiang Mai, Thailand. I'm actually here long term this time. Wow. So I just, yeah, I'm just uh, fell in love too much with the city and I'm here for another year. Wow. I'm so surprised. <laughs> So, yeah, yeah. I, I think I got to uh, that stage in my nomad journey, which I think like everybody gets to this stage after a few years, right? Where you're traveling so much and then, then you get to a point where you just need a home base and you just need to stay still for a little while. And I think that's where I got in my journey now. So, yeah. Well, I'm very proud of you for doing so. And I'm doing the same thing, but in Eastern Europe. So almost kind of switching places um, where you are because you're from Hungary, which is... Is, exactly. it, is it technically Central Europe or, or is it more Eastern? Uh, uh, Central Eastern. Like we like to say Central, but it's technically Eastern Europe. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll let you have it. So um, for everyone who doesn't know, um, how did we meet? Uh, I think we met on the first Nomad Summit. Uh, my first Nomad Summit, sorry, that wasn't the first one, in 2017 when I first came to Chiang Mai. Okay. And uh, Alexandra has been basically co-hosting and helping me with the Nomad Summit for, what, now the last two years, was it? I don't know. It feels like... Uh, I don't since know. the Las Vegas Summit, actually. Yeah, so it's been so a while. in May, yes. So Vegas Summit, last year's Chiang Mai Summit, and then now we're working on the Cancun Summit together. Yes. Yeah, so it's going yeah, to be exciting. But this week's episode is actually nothing to do with that. It's It's something that I think digital nomads never talk about, even though it would really benefit a lot of people. And it's something that we've now both been through that I know like Tim Ferriss, I think he's talked about it. I think he's been through it. And some other people have, have mentioned it in passing, but I really wanted to dedicate a whole episode on it because even though we know that meditation or taking some time for self-reflection would be beneficial to our lives, I think very few of us nomads actually do it. Mm-hmm. And actually, when you when you had mentioned you were going to do a Vipassana, I was thinking you were going to do it somewhere in, in Europe. But you did it in, in Chiang Mai or in Thailand. Yes, I did it in Thailand. What What made you want to do it? Uh, uh, yeah, I've heard about this meditation retreat quite a few years ago, actually. So it's something I always wanted to do. I actually only just got into meditation about two or three years ago, so not that long time ago. And yeah, I've, I've always actually been really fascinated by the Buddhist culture, but not really the religious part and uh, just wanted to explore it. And, uh, yeah, I actually like some of my friends did it and they, they had this like really amazing experience. It was really, uh, like transformational for them, life changing. And I really wanted to do it. I just didn't feel ready for a long time because I feel like, and we're definitely going to talk more about this, but it's a kind of thing that you really have to be ready to do. And yeah, now I got to a point recently where I felt like it was, it was time to do it. And I felt like Thailand was the right place to do it. But yeah, as you said, it's, you can, you can do it anywhere else. Yeah, it's cool. So for those who aren't familiar with it, it's, it's called a Vipassana and it's worldwide. And it's basically a format for a 10 day 
silent meditation where you have to follow these 10 precepts and, and we'll go over those in a little bit. But basically it's kind of like the, it has the same benefits of doing like ayahuasca, you know, but without having to go into a jungle in Peru and, and drink poison for a week and, and vomit. It's like <laughs> a, a way to just kind of self-reflect, figure out who, you know, what you want in life, who you are, what's important and basically force yourself to do something really difficult. Probably the most difficult thing in the world is just, just do nothing for 10 days. Yes. Yeah, yeah exactly. I uh, I always felt like uh, I'm the kind of person who doesn't have any addictions. Like I'm not, you know, I don't drink coffee every day. I, I don't know. I don't really, like I, I felt like I don't have any sort of addiction. So it would be easy. But then when I went there, I just realized how many, you know, how many little cravings I have when I'm bored and I, I don't know what to do with my time. It was very, it was very interesting to realize that we actually always want to distract ourselves with something. Yeah, well, that, that, that's powerful. And, and I definitely want to go into what we've learned from it. Uh, so I've done it as well, but I think in 2009 or 2010, maybe. And I did oh, it. Wow. Yeah, I did it in Suratani, which is this kind of like middle of nowhere Thai city, uh, but in the forest. I, I, I think the name of it is actually the Forest Monastery, where all the, from what I remember, I think all the monks used to wear green until one of the head monks decided to unify everyone and, and make them more orange. But it was really like in the middle of nowhere. It sounded perfect because it was there was nothing around it. But the monastery had a hot like not like a natural hot tub, like natural hot spring. So every day at five PM you can go for a soak and have your Ovaltine or your kind of afternoon like a, a drink because we we're not supposed to eat afternoon but you can have something to drink. And it just sounded perfect to me. That sounds wonderful, actually. Yeah, it, it it was. It had its pros and cons. Uh, actually, just getting there was such a pain. I remember I took the night boat from Kotal's. I was living there on the island for during that time. Have you have you been to Kotal? Um, no, I've actually never been to Kotal. No. So is I'll, it where you did your? No, uh, I was doing my. I was working as a dive master at the time, and this is like 2009 or 2010. And I remember at the time I actually had a mohawk. A, bright red dyed mohawk really yeah and i'm so glad there's not many photos of it and actually now now that i think about it, it actually wasn't even really a mohawk because i didn't have enough hair to make it like that spiky <laughs> it was just me trying to be different or trying to stand out or trying to mm-hmm. find uh, some kind of external way to express myself you know i think the same way people do with piercings or dyeing their hair purple or you know right. acting or dressing a certain way and from from kotal i took the night ferry to Saratani and from there it was really hard to get to the monastery there was no kind of easy path but I figured mm-hmm. it's a really well-known monastery you know Thai people are generally very nice I'm sure I can find a way you know from the ferry port to the monastery but I was on a boat with all tourists so and it was like five in the morning when we got there so the only mm-hmm. taxi there was or the only way to get around was this super scammy like uh taxi company that said like like it's you know he's like oh yeah it's only you know 50 baht which is really cheap it's like two dollars and it almost sounded too good to be true but we all paid for it because we had no other option but instead of actually taking us into the city like the city center where we wanted to go he took us you know 10 blocks away to his office which was you know in the 10 blocks in the wrong direction so we were even more stuck and from there they were trying to sell us really expensive taxis into the city Oh, <laughs> and I remember everybody, like all the other tourists, were so angry and they were upset and they were yelling and they were like they were arguing. And 
to be fair, these guys really were rip- ripping us off. There's no reason why it should have been a thousand baht, like you know, thirty five dollars mm-hmm. to to go um, into into town. And the fact that he lied to us and just basically like almost kidnapped us and took us to his you know his tourism office, even though we had paid to, you know to go to the city center, we were pissed. People were pissed. But instead of getting mad, I had decided, hey, maybe this is my first lesson for this you know for this vipassana for this ten days. Let mm-hmm. me just keep quiet, not stress about it, and let me just figure it out. So I basically just started walking and I and just, and I was like, all right, well, I'm just going to I don't know how far it is. It's probably a few miles, um maybe maybe further, but let me just get out of the situation and let me figure it out. And you figured it out, I guess. Yeah, eventually. I mean, I I think I walked for an hour uh and I was for, you know, um I was like far enough away from all the tourists where I was really just with locals and it was now eight in the morning, so there was normal people, you know, uh, up and about. And then people were really friendly. Then you know, people are then you know they're super kind because they're not dealing with. And I think it's a two sided thing where, on one hand, people are trying to rip off tourists because they think we have a lot of money and that we're you know we can we can basically be their livelihood. But on the other hand, I think one of the reasons why even in Thailand where people are super nice, why they are so rude um, and scammy in these tourist areas is because they're used to dealing with these drunk, obnoxious, rude tourists and they got tired of it. And they started thinking, well, if we're going to have to deal with these guys, let's make as much money from them as possible. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a, a two-sided street. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but eventually, you know, uh, I was able to take a local taxi for probably $2 and I got there fine. And it was a good lesson to be learned. That's fantastic. So you already realized that uh, it's easier to solve situations without stress. Yeah. And it's it's funny because I would like to think that I, I've taken that with me now. But one of my biggest problems is I, I allow myself to be in stressful situations where I can easily just walk away from. We're just not never like instigate in the first place. You know, especially mm-hmm. online, like on Twitter, or on Facebook or something. I just like, sometimes, it's not that I want to cause trouble. It's just that if I see like an injustice, you know, like someone trying to rip someone off or something that's, you know, that I want to have my opinion in. I know that I shouldn't get involved and my life would be much easier if I didn't. But something right. just draws me to be like, no, like this is, you know, this is not right. Like, here's my correction. Here's my, here's my thoughts, you know. And sometimes we don't see the big picture. Like, we, it's so normal not to see their point of view and why they're upset. Just like the, the, the local ties who will scam tourists. We can only see from our point of view that they're being rude, that they're scamming us. But we don't really think about, you know, what happened to them and why, why they're upset and why they're acting this way. Yes, I think that's normal for most people, actually. It's really hard to uh, get to a state where you can see everybody's point of view and just uh, remain calm in a situation. Yeah, and I think that's why there's so much like anger between the two sides. There's always two sides, you know, whether it's men versus women, women versus men, like the left versus the right, the Democrats versus the Republicans, you know, the red versus the blue, you know, whatever it is, there's always two sides and they both think that they're 100% right. Where they both think they're the victims, they both think that the they're being oppressed or being, you know, you know, hurt by the other side. And often it's you know it's true that that's happening. But what they don't see or they don't take the time to think about is why they started lashing out, why they're angry in the first place. Maybe they were also hurt, you know, by the other side before. Exactly, and I think that's what they uh, these meditation retreats are are amazing for. That it really teaches you to take a step back. And look at the whole situation without like trying to like before you start judging the situation, essentially. 
Yeah, I can see that. So why did you decide to do this? Because it's a, this is a really big time commitment. And I, I know to a lot of people, they're, they're thinking like, oh, it's only 10 days. It's not that big of a deal. But when you actually commit to 10 days, like, which is actually a little bit longer because, you know, you have a, a day to travel yeah. there, a day after, yeah. ends up being about 13 days. It's like, so it's like two weeks of your life. Yeah, let's be honest, you don't want to work the, the day after you come out. So it's, it's definitely uh, at least two weeks mm-hmm. or about two weeks commitment. Yes, I like I said, I always wanted to do it. I definitely, that was one of the reasons I couldn't do it in the past when I had a, like a very, like I was working way too many hours a week and there was no way I could have taken that amount of time off. But I also uh, realized that there was, there was also a bit of an excuse as well because I was, you know, like a little resistant uh to do this because obviously it sounds a bit you know it's a bit uh scary especially when you when you actually hear people who've done it and said how hard it is you definitely uh find excuses why you're not ready to do it yet but i i I always love finding ways to challenge myself and grow as a person and and see my limits and you know just become more self-aware so that was that was my number one reason for doing it just uh just uh, you know more self-awareness and exploring like fi- finding out more things about myself and and uh, and yeah just just see what happens I guess yeah that's cool I I don't know if I can remember why I, I went because it's, it's been so long but even at the time I don't think I really knew what I was going to get out of it I think I mm-hmm. knew there would be a benefit I knew it'd be a challenge I knew it'd be an interesting story something kind of cool to experience because this is something I never would have done living back in San Francisco I know it technically mm-hmm. is this there and sometimes they'll do it in like someone's backyard or something, but it's a completely different experience doing it in Thailand, doing it with real Thai monks and doing it in, yeah. you know, like in this surrounding. Where did you do yours exactly? I did it here in Chiang Mai uh, in Wat Trampoeng Temple, which is, a, which is a very famous meditation center here. Where, it was actually, so, sorry? Like where is it exactly? It, uh, it's near the airport in Chiang Mai. So oh, it's, wow. uh, it's really just uh, like in the city which was uh which was interesting because i was also thinking about going somewhere far away mm-hmm. uh also giving myself a way to you know not give up and run away and it was definitely it definitely added to the challenge that i mean i'm sure we're going to talk about like when it gets hard and you almost feel like giving it up it actually makes it even harder when you know that you're literally 10 minutes away from your house yeah um but uh but in a way i'm happy that it, this was the case because that it was even more challenging to say um yeah how pissed would you be if i if i would if i like corrected you right now and i was like oh no it was super easy for me i never thought about it at all, at all. <laughs> i read your book though okay <laughs> yes i know it's not true so, so did you read it <laughs> and I, don't, yeah. I don't think there has ever been a person who found it easy let's be honest yeah i can imagine that <laughs> so did you... i just i just don't don't think how it's possible it's definitely not possible i think anyone who says uh, it like it was easy that's bullshit. they are either like psychopathic or something or meant like there's something there's something wrong like i think any normal human being can like is gonna find it challenging yeah or they sneaked in a book or something Otherwise... or they cheated or something <laughs> they were like in their room yeah. watching netflix all the whole, the whole week it's like, oh, this is great. Probably, yes. <laughs> yeah. i mean there's 10 days without work you might yeah. as well catch up on netflix <laughs> so did you did you read uh, my book before you went or after uh, I read it uh, like I read uh, read it recently actually. Okay, so afterwards. Yeah. Yeah, I was actually I remember I sent it to you before, but I was actually thinking if I was you, I probably wouldn't read it before either because I would want to have my experience and um, and not like have someone else's experience like uh, influence mine. Yeah, yeah, and it's definitely. Um, 
I actually, I, I did read quite a few, you know, blog posts and I found somebody's book who was just dedicated for the Vipassana retreat. There was this like 40 page book on, on Amazon I found. So I was reading a lot because I was so, you know, excited and I wanted to know everything, even though everybody was telling me not to, you know, like not let it influence my my expectations and my experience. But looking back, I don't think it did because 10 days is very, very long. So I think it's, it's almost impossible to to be influenced by all these things that you read or heard beforehand because you're definitely going to have your own experiences and it's definitely going to um, like things will come up that you didn't expect no matter how like no matter what others tell you and and how you experience it uh, and 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 what you what you've read beforehand yes so i actually was a little bit too unprepared before I went in because I didn't know anything about it. I kind of assumed there'd be more structure, like maybe <laughs> the monks would talk to us every day and have like a lesson to think about for the day or something, or you know, even like um, an instruction on how to meditate. When I went, I had never meditated before, so I didn't know oh, wow. what to do or how to do it. And you know, at the time, there was no headspace, there's no calm app, uh, and I couldn't even sit. Like um, in the meditation position, I was so uncomfortable. Like my body was mm-hmm. just not meant for it, and I didn't. I had never read any Buddhist scriptures, or I, I never, I never knew. Like I didn't know anything. And the problem was the the head monk, for whatever reason, wasn't there. And 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 there was a guy that was really really good, like a like a monk, but I think he had passed already. And mm-hmm. luckily, they had some recordings of his lectures, but they would only play it. You know, every other or I think they played the first one on day three or something. So the first two days was so strange. You know, I would and, and you know, let's go through over the, the schedule because I think a lot of people don't realize um, what it actually is. So um, for me, actually, I actually went uh, two days before it started because they had a a monastery there that you can stay for free. And I figured it'd be great to stay there, you know, be able to talk for two days, but it's kind of still be in that setting. So I stayed in this monastery and I, I ate with them. I, you know, I stayed there and there was this one monk who was a bit, you know, he was a young guy that spoke English. So I would talk to him and, you know, try to get some tips or something from him. But, you know, even then he was just like, there wasn't that much preparation. Like what was your experience like the, the first day or before the first day? Yes, for me it was, um, so the kind of Vipassana retreat I did, because there are multiple different ones. Uh, the most uh, popular one is the Goenka style retreat. Uh, in Thailand, they don't really do that, especially in Chiang Mai, you don't really find this retreat. Here they go with the, the more like traditional style of Vipassana, which in the end, I think like it's the same, basically the same idea, but it's a little bit of a different structure. So mine is like uh, followed the the Mahasi teaching, and what that mean meant like we still had, and I'm going to get to the daily routine in a second. But um, the difference is that it wasn't that like we didn't have the daily teachings, for example, and it wasn't that structured. It was more like you know left to us. But um, but yeah, so I arrived uh, on the like. On day zero, basically, they called it day zero in the morning. Mm-hmm. And that day, we, I think it was 13 people started together. We had a little bit of, um, you know, they, they walked us around the temple. They told us where we have to go and when and how lunch works and which temple we have to go at what time and all these things. And and after that first introductory day, um, every morning we started waking up at 4 a.m. Okay. Well, let's, uh, uh, before we get to that part, did you... T- talk to the other 13 people um on day zero did you get to know everyone first no 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 we only the only thing we had time for is saying hi to each other and we all like had this little like 
you know, excitement slash very in our eyes and looked at each other. Like, we're not sure what's going to happen to us. But then, like, very soon, they, they actually gave us this little name, like, tags, basically, uh, which said silence. So, yeah, we, we were not talking to each other after that wow. for the next 10 days. So, for, for me, I remember I spoke to a few people and a lot, like, like two of them were there to quit addictions. So, one wanted to quit smoking, one wanted to quit something else. And... I was thinking like, oh, maybe this is a great idea to like come here because you're away from everything. You don't, you don't have um, the, you know, you don't have these vices. Uh, but they, both of them, like they quit after two days because it was so hard. Like, so I definitely recommend oh, yes. not going there to quit smoking or something. Because when you have 24 hours a day to think about not smoking, it's terrible. Really? Yes. Yeah. So, wow. Yeah. I can't imagine that. <laughs> yeah. So even though, it, <laughs> or if, or if yeah. you make it, the ten days you definitely will not smoke anymore. Yeah, I if guess you can so, actually but... make this ten days. Yeah, I think it's it's better to like distract, be able to distract yourself for ten days, you know, doing something else instead of um, like because you know we're not we're not really eating, we're not really we're not talking, we're not like we don't have any input. So it's like ten days. No of... distractions at yeah. all. Yes, it's ten days of thinking, like just having time, but thinking like, oh, it'd be nice to have a cigarette, or it'd be like, oh, it'd be nice to have a shot of heroin, you know, whatever drug you're addicted to. So yeah. definitely not recommend people. Um, but what's funny is the other half of the people that I didn't speak to, you know, because it was a similar format where we, you know, we got our, um, we didn't really have name tags because the one nice thing was because we were in the middle of nowhere, everyone knew there was a, there, there was no one else to meet. It was just people, you know, um, it was just us in silence. So we didn't even have to have name tags, but we, half the people that came um, after we basically started being silent I never even heard their voice. I never knew their name. So for those 10 days, I would wonder sometimes, like, who are these people? Where are they from? You know, and even like in my mind, I would have an idea. I would like guess, you know, their persona or their way their voice sounded. And I remember on the last day when we finally spoke, they were completely different than, than I expected. Yes. Yeah, it was the same for me. I I, uh, I really love to know where everybody is from and everybody's origi- origins and stuff. So I always imagine people with like what their accent might be. And uh, obviously, I never heard their, their voices. So I, as you said, imagine their personality, but also imagine an accent in my head. And then after like after the 10 days, the the night after we decided to meet up in in, um, in the old city for dinner. And one of the girls turned out to be Hungarian. Oh, wow. That's so crazy. So, <laughs> that's definitely not how I imagined. Yeah, that's so crazy. Okay, so n- not to skip ahead. So um, let- let's talk about the schedule. So we would wake up at 4 a.m. And were you were you upset that we had to wake up that early every day? Um, on the first day, so it sounded really crazy. I'm usually an early riser, which means about like 6 o'clock. That's, <laughs> so 4 is still a bit too early for me. I was more upset about the fact that... Uh, we, we couldn't go to bed sooner than like 10. And that means that you can only sleep for six hours. And I'm a big believer in like, yeah, you actually need eight hours of sleep for your, you know, mm-hmm. a good sleep hygiene and, and sleep deprivation is not a good thing. And, and that, that was something that bothered me more. But, um, but then I actually found it really easy to wake up at four. I don't know. I think that like I've, I've done some research and meditation definitely helps with like it's not the same as sleeping, obviously, but it definitely helps. Yeah. And uh, and I think honestly, I don't know if if you share this experience, but honestly, um, 
like sometimes even even if I wake up early on my own on a normal day, I would still find it hard to you know like like I still need like ten minutes on my phone or like read something or or, or anything before I actually start my day. So I'm I'm not always just like wake up and leave the bed right away. But there because there was no like nothing to do, you know, I couldn't check Facebook in the morning or I couldn't <laughs> do this and that. I couldn't do anything. So I, I found myself like yeah like. I don't know, the alarm clock went off and I just left the bed and it just made me feel so proud. Like, okay, so I'm actually capable of doing it at 4 a.m. Yeah. So I actually found that part really easy after this initial, you know, like it, like how, how crazy it sounded. After that, I found it uh, quite easy. So I really hated waking up that early because also, oh, really? yeah, I, like first, I like waking up early, but my idea of early is 7 a.m., you know, and right. I was pissed because... You know, it's, I'm like, why are we waking up so early? It's ridiculous. The sun's not up yet. This is unhealthy. You know, I need my eight hours sleep. And it wasn't until I think day three or four when we had the first ever, the first lecture. Like, you, you know, it was literally okay. three days of me being upset about this, thinking this is such a stupid program and this is unhealthy for me that we, the first lecture was something called the power of 4 a.m. And in it, basically they explained that 4 a.m. is really the only time in any city that nobody's awake because right. you know at 3 a.m there are still people coming home from the clubs or from you know from work and they're drunk or they're rowdy or they're you know upset or they're pissed off and then at 5 a.m you have some kind of early bird risers to go jogging or you know go to the gym or go to work you know early in the morning for mm-hmm. for their work 4 a.m is really the only time you know during that hour that nobody's awake and it's yeah. something kind of really magical being awake at that time and, and, you know, having like fresh energy. And when I heard that, I thought, oh, wow, I, I can't believe, you know, like, why, like, why was I so upset these last couple of days? You know, this actually <laughs> is really nice. Yes. Yeah. And it's, it's definitely very calm. I remember not at, uh, like at 4 a.m. It was still very dark. And for us, so it was a little bit different in my program. We had this like morning chanting and meditation together. And then we would leave the temple at quarter to five-ish. And that's when, like, it was already, like, getting a little, like, lighter. And everything was really quiet. But you could still, you know, hear the little frogs and birds. And it was just so quiet. And it was still, like, because I'm in Thailand, so it was incredibly hot during the day. And at, uh, like, almost 5 a.m., it was, the the temperature was perfect. It was so calm and peaceful. And just absolutely, that was the favorite time of the day for me. Yeah, it's so crazy how we can dread or hate something, but then when we take the time to really appreciate it, especially if we understand kind of, you know, the meaning behind it or the benefits behind it, then our views can completely change. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It's funny what you, how you say that you also had this feeling of, you know, how this whole thing is stupid and you don't understand what's going on and this like rebel, because I went through the same thing in the first few days. Mm. And uh, and I find it interesting, like how or you you obviously wanted to do this program, and I I was also like really like I really have been wanting to do it for years. Yet in the like second ish, like it it went away after a few days. Like around the second day, I found myself like really like rebelling. Obviously not out loud because I wasn't speaking, but like in my head, like this is stupid, and why are we doing that? Also like here in Thailand, you you do some like not much, but you do some chanting which is like, ah, this is like so silly. Why do we have to do that? And it's just, obviously, it went away completely by day three. And how you like also had this little, um, this feeling, it's really interesting. Yeah, and I wonder how many people go through that. I mean, I'd be so curious 
but I, I would imagine that most people do because I think it's not even just with this this uh, meditation. It's with almost everything you know in life. Like let's say we sign up for like some gym routine, fitness routine, or diet, or school, or you know to learn like a a new you know a new business or something. In the beginning, we're excited, but then we get frustrated and we mm-hmm. we start looking at reasons why we should quit, reason why yes. you know it could be done better or differently, even though. I mean, sometimes I think, you know, yeah, maybe things can be di- done differently and maybe it would be better. But at the same time, I think the two lessons I learned from that was one is maybe we don't know the reason why they're doing this. And maybe there's um, some, you know, method to their madness or some rhyme for the reason that mm-hmm. we just aren't aware of because we're just it's just different than the way we would do it or what we have been taught our lives. And yeah. the second is actually, even if it's not the best way to do it, I think that sometimes as long as we follow a method and we stick to it as long as it's like been proven and it you know overall generally works it's better than to follow something that you know maybe isn't the way we would do it or maybe even isn't even perfect but just follow it is in you know whether it's like a gym routine or something as long as we actually just do it and we follow through and we don't find excuses to stop it's still gonna work and it's still gonna be better for us but I also find it that that's the reason I, I heard this from other people too, that they had this uh, rebel faith at the beginning. But especially for us digital nomads, if you think about it, we're so not used to following rules because mm-hmm. we like our whole lives is like, you know, we work from wherever we want and pretty much whenever we want and, you know, just do whatever. Like we have too much freedom, basically. And when we, you know, go to a temple and like, you know, live there almost as in a prison or I don't know, like really like secluded and people tell us what to do the whole day is really like it's not what we're used to like even if we know that that's what we signed up for still when we're there and we have to follow these things that as you said we didn't grow up with these things we're not used to it um i think it's it's very like very hard to let go of the control yeah but sometimes i think letting go of that control and just just following a format i think that's that's when you know things kind of start working out Exactly. And that's uh, like once I managed to make the decision, like obviously I like I knew what was going on. Like even when I was feeling that this is stupid, like in the back of my mind, I knew that like I knew what was going on in my mind. Like I knew that this had to like I had to get over this feeling and just be more open and more accepting. And once I got over this, it was actually like then I obviously like started like actually enjoying it and, and be like way more OK with it. And uh, like yeah, like we, we had teachings, too. And they were um, telling us how. You know, like when you make so many decisions in your life, that's when you like that's actually not good making all this like, you know, deciding about every single thing. Like sometimes it's good to just let others decide for us or or just, you know, to not think that much. Yeah, it's weird you know, because I think on one hand, you know, the kind of the motto or the manifesto of being a digital nomad or being an entrepreneur is not following the trend, not following the rules not you know being a sheep in society and following our own path and i think in a lot of ways that has benefited us so much we've gotten so much freedom we're able to you know sure. you know live a better better life but at the same time i think sometimes we we disregard rules and we don't want to follow something just because we think we can do it better even if you know like just by following something our lives probably would actually be better like you know if i mean i think the best example is like fitness like i think one of the reasons why so many people have a hard time following a fitness or diet plan is we 
try to cheat our way where we think we're like, oh, you know what? We should, you know, I don't really have to do that. Let me bend the rules a bit. Let me kind of like, yeah. oh, is this really a carb? Is this really, you know, like, oh, they didn't say I can't <laughs> eat this. Or like, oh, yeah, like maybe I'll skip the gym today because I'm sore or whatever. And we, yeah. you know, we find these reasons to not do it. And if we had just followed it dumbly and just blindly followed it, even if we followed like, you know, what we call like uh, bro science for working out, even if it's not 100% like the best way to do it, I guarantee that if someone just followed that plan for the, for two years, they'd be in great shape, even if it wasn't like perfect. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's also at least one of my realizations was also how like as much as you resist following other people's rules, it's also not that easy to like you, you have to learn some discipline to be able to follow your own rules as well. Um, and if you, I mean, so many, so many people who, who like location independent people end up like realizing how hard it is that like there are no rules at all. And it's like big freedom and people start developing daily routines and, you know, pretty much wake up at the same time and like always, you know, always go to the gym in the morning instead of, so like have some kind of routine they stick to because they need this, uh, like have, have a more organized day basically. Yeah. I think that's why both of us, even though we can work from anywhere in the world we can you know work when we want where we want both of us have chosen to have a home base like i yeah. i'm living here in ukraine for the next three months you're in back in chiang mai even though we can be anywhere we can be you know on some little island somewhere we can be we can be anywhere but we decided no let's 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 find a base and let's, let's just be somewhere yeah. have a structure yes yeah and i definitely uh find it way harder to to do my work when I'm like, you know, it, it's a lot of fun. I've, I've done it a lot, traveling around and, and going somewhere every week, somewhere else. Mm-hmm. But uh, but when, when I do that, it's obviously way harder to do, you know, good quality work. Yeah. And, and not just that, but like, you know, also building your community or having like, you know, sleeping good hours or having, you know, sticking to your fitness routine. It's all so much harder when you when you always keep changing your location yeah 100 percent. i mean the i would say one of the main reasons why my weight fluctuates so much up and down my fitness levels is because i move way too much like mm-hmm. when i'm in one place for a few months i'm generally in pretty good shape because i have a you know yeah. eating routine fitness routine and then as soon as i start traveling you know i start eating more like junk food because i'm not cooking or i'm not like eating i don't like i'm just eating new crazy stuff like oh i'm in this new country i have to try their deep fried like whatever yeah you know or i have to try the new local alcohol or like you know the wine or the tapas or whatever and then i'm not going to the gym because i don't have a routine i don't have a membership you know i don't i have you know a lot of it's excuses because i'm sure you i could you know figure it out but in general like when I have a set routine, like here in, in Ukraine, I'm waking up every morning at nine. I walk to the gym. I work out for an hour. Then I go to the coffee shop. I, you know, I work for a few hours in the coffee shop and I've been more productive work-wise. I've been, you know, uh, more productive fitness-wise. And my life is overall better having this, re- this routine, even though I could technically work out at night if I wanted to or, you know, or work in the middle of the day or work at night, you know, like I can, I could do whatever I want, but having this routine has really tremendously benefited my life. 100%. 100%. And once you get used to a certain routine, a certain habit, it's, it's kind of automatic after a while, right? Like when, you, when you're not used to going to the gym and then it's the first few times, it's quite hard. But once you get into a, a routine, you, you start missing it and it's like you don't even have to think about going, right? Yep. I think that's why, I mean, um, 
it's been proven like how habits work too but uh, that's why it's important to like actually like you say you could go in the night but you go in the morning because like then it becomes an automatic habit and and then it's much easier to stick to it yeah i I definitely agree so um let's get back to the 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 actual day schedule so we wake up at 4 a.m super early uh for at my place we would actually do kind of a form of yoga in the morning which is really nice because no no sorry i think for the first hour we would meditate and then the second hour we would do some kind of really light yoga it wasn't like a workout but it was a bit of a stretch which i think was really nice because before your back yeah just because like just sitting there it's it's tightening on your back and it's you know it's not good and I actually remember, yes. yeah, the monks actually were not allowed to do the yoga because they're not allowed to do exercise. And mm-hmm. I remember one of the monks was so excited, telling us that he had just he was taught this this move by a you know another traveling monk or something where it didn't break the rules because it wasn't exercise. But what he would do is slowly swirl his uh, his arms like backwards and then forwards for a few minutes. And wow. that it completely eliminated his back pain, that he just felt better. So he would do it every day for a few minutes. Mm-hmm. And it kind of just shows that, like, you know what? Like, I understand why they... And we'll go, we'll, we'll go over these these kind of rules for, for, for monks later. But, like, sometimes, you know, it's, it's good to... Like, not all rules are good. Like, you know, I think mm-hmm. the fact that they kind of broke the rules a bit by letting us stretch and do yoga, I think it was a, was a benefit. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Uh, and then, so like for, for you, like what was the actual meditation? Was it was it all sitting meditation or was it a combination of different no, things? We were switching between sitting and walking meditation, which by the way, walking meditation is something I, like I, I never heard of it before. I didn't know what it was. But so basically just very quickly, what it is, is that you like, Take a step very consciously, as in you break it down into lifting your feet from the floor and slowly, you know, moving it in front of the other one and like touch the floor. And it just goes really, really, really slow. So like one step would take, I don't know, 20 seconds. And and it's actually like really great. And it was also nice to, you know, after doing like an hour of sitting meditation, doing an hour of walking meditation, it was also good because you could at least move a little bit. Because as you said, sitting gets really, like for me, it was really, really hard to sit uh, that many hours. Yeah. And I think for most people, it's the same. But for your walking mm-hmm. meditation, it's not like you're walking around the city or the mon- or the monastery, right? Is it literally just uh, back and forth? Yeah, like 10 steps maybe or <laughs> just, just a few meters. Yeah, I remember at the beginning, I, I thought it was stupid as well, thinking, why like why would I just go back and forth? Like I understand yeah. the benefit of you know taking steps slowly and being aware of what you're doing, but wouldn't it be nicer if I just walked around the monastery instead? So at the beginning, I would actually break that rule, and instead of just walking back and forth in a straight line, I would take the time to kind of just make circles around the monastery. Okay. Yeah, which I, I probably, I don't know, I think like... I understand now why they want us to, just to go back and forth because they didn't want us getting distracted um, looking at things. Yeah. But for me, I think like even today, I take a lot of that walking meditation into my life now. Like I don't mm-hmm. sit for half an hour and just meditate. But what I do do is I walk a lot or when I'm scuba diving underwater, like mm-hmm. it's it, to me, it's like meditation. Like for me, it's just yes. not thinking and just like being in the moment you know being aware of my my steps my surroundings and just being aware of my being very present and yeah I, yeah and i understand I, I that think, yeah 
No, I was gonna say I understand. Like, it's it can be distracting if you're walking around the city because there's always things coming in, you know, or being underwater and seeing like fish swim by. But at the same time, I feel like I get a lot of benefit from just having it be part of my daily life instead of and just shutting down my brain and just being present, even though I'm walking around the city or even though I'm underwater, you know, versus you know, ha- like forcing myself to sit somewhere for for thirty minutes to get into that state. Yes. Yeah, I think there are there are obviously many different kinds of meditations, right? Just uh, the sitting meditation is the easiest to do if you're not used to if you're not used to meditating, and you would, as you said, there are so many distractions uh, when you do another kind of meditation. So it would be like probably could be way too hard to do it that way if you're not used to it. But uh, at the Vipassana retreat, we were encouraged to to do everything, you know, like mindfully, basically, as they said it, when we when we were eating, we were not allowed to, we weren't even allowed to like sit together with the people we started together with, we weren't uh, allowed to chat or, you know, obviously read anything. So we were encouraged to like eat mindfully. And really, like we had a very long lunch break. So you could actually eat very slowly. And then we had to wash our own dishes. And they also told us to like, you know, like you actually can take your time and do the you know, wash the dishes very mindfully and very slowly and, you know, watch how the water fills on your hands. And yeah, so just uh, <laughs> basically whatever you did, you could you could turn it into a meditation, which I think like a f- first, as you said, like these things might sound sunny f- funny first, but uh, then you try it. It's like, oh, this is actually really nice. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. And I think I, I've taken a lot of that into my normal life, even now, mm-hmm. years later. I really try to do things mindfully now. And I think that is one of the things that it takes a while to learn how to do. But once you start doing it, it's really nice. Like even if like even by washing dishes, it's something that you can end up enjoying, you know, and, you know, and having it be like a nice relaxing part of your day instead of being stressful and thinking, oh, I hate doing this. I wish I had a dishwasher or I wish I didn't have to do this. Exactly. And it definitely feels different. Even uh, yeah, even just just washing the dishes when you when you're mindful about how it feels and it definitely feels different and eating as well. I think most people are used to eating like when you when you eat alone. Most people are used to eating with the TV on or reading something yeah. or having a podcast on or obviously when you eat together with people you you chat with them. So so we're not really used to just eating. And when you when you actually eat your food and only concentrate on the bites and how the food tastes and so like. I think you you can actually taste the food more, and <laughs> it's just a very no. It's true. Experience. It's a hundred percent true, and it's actually yeah. w- one of those things where if you don't, they've they've studied um, people while they eat in front of the TV, and we generally eat way more calories when we're eating in front of the TV and we're, yeah. we're distracted versus if we're present and we're like really taking our time to, to enjoy the food and look at mm-hmm. the food and chew the food, like. Like if we do nothing else, like just by eating without distractions, it, we're healthier, we enjoy the food more. And it's such a small hack that to be honest, I don't do very often because I like, I enjoy watching, you know, uh, TV while eating, especially yeah. it's so bad. I I'd probably do the worst thing possible, but I like watching food porn while eating food. So like <laughs> I'll watch like a vice thing about like the pizza show, like about like the best pizza in the world while I'm eating like a burger or something. And that just makes me more hungry, but you know, I know at least I know I I'm aware now that it's not good. <laughs> yeah, it's, that's great. Yeah, but one thing I yeah. I really enjoyed doing um at our when we would eat is we would do like a like a gratitude food, not even a prayer, but like just a like a saying or something before mm-hmm. we would eat. 
Did, did you yes. did you guys do something like that? Yeah. So um, so as as I said, we were doing some chanting, which was really not much. Like we did like ten minutes in the morning when we woke up, and the other two chantings were like before breakfast and before lunch. And uh, it was a really uh, interesting thing to to notice both of myself and the people around me on the first day when we you know we we got our food, we sat down. And normally when you get your food and it's like it, it was I, I think it was really delicious food. So it smelled nice. You wanted you wanted to start eating, especially because you're really starving the first few days. Right. Because you're not eating and not used to eating so little. And then before you can start eating, then we start these chantings, which I think it's probably similar of what you did. So the, we, we got the English translation and it was just about, you know, gratitude for food. Um, and you're not allowed to start eating until this chanting ends. And yeah, just noticing how everybody was like very, very impatient in the first couple of days. Uh-huh. Like when, when is it going to end because we really want to eat. But after like, yeah, after even just like two days, people were like so much more patient and calm. And it's like, yeah, we're just going to do the chanting. Food can wait. Uh, it was definitely uh, like a very big change. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember what it was? Was it in English? Or? It was in a Pali language. Okay, because I, I remember ours was in English, and it was nice, actually, because it was the only time in the day we were allowed to speak. And it wasn't that we mm-hmm. were speaking to each other. It, I guess it was kind of like a chant, but we would wait for everyone to have their food, and then we would sit down. And I wish I would remember what it was, because it was really, really nice. But it was something like, you know, first, like, you know, let's... And, and I, I just Googled this, but I don't think it's the same one as we would say, but it's it's a similar idea. But it was basically something like, let us reflect on our own work and effort who brought us this food. Let us be aware of the quality and the deeds we receive this meal. What is essential in the practice of mindfulness, which helps us transcend greed, anger, and delusion. We appreciate this food, which sustains the good health of our body and mind. In order to continue our practice for beings, we accept this offering. Mm-hmm. And I remember I the one that we would say would actually actually included something about like with this meal we let go of all anger jealousy and negative emotions you know and we are only eating to fuel our body fuel our body you know so we can continue um you know like our purpose in life and that was really really powerful because even if we're just doing it once a day you know or especially eating three meals a day if imagine three meals a day you before eating you're like okay well with this food i'm gonna let go of all the anger and hate and negative emotions that I've been carrying with me this day before, I'm not going to let that be consumed into my body. And also I'm going to take this time to appreciate the food and where it came from, but also uh, to realize that I'm, I'm only eating this, not for joy, not for gluttony, not for, you know, making up for, you know, uh, sadness or boredom, but I'm, I'm eating yes. this to fuel my body, to allow myself to do, you know, the, my mission or my, my goals in life mm-hmm. yeah that's, that's very nice i definitely remember this part so we were uh that's that's usually the language and uh, they use in buddhism the pali language um but yeah we had the translation in front of us and this part's like food is like we, we don't eat for for pleasure for boredom for yeah we for joy we, we had these things as well and 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 gratitude which, yeah. which is a really nice thing. Like, uh, I remember, so as you said, that it was nice to, to like say things in English and actually, uh, actually like speak uh, for me the first day because we didn't really know, you know, didn't really know what, what was going on and just like follow the people chanting. It didn't make much sense as we were just singing in their language. But as like when I like took my time and read through the whole thing and I understood what I was actually saying, it was then like a really nice, uh, really nice little habit. 
I obviously don't keep that. Like I don't chant anymore before my food, but <laughs> but it was really nice. Yeah, and I, but I think it's something nice that we could like we don't have to spend you know three minutes doing it. But I think even if we just took ten seconds before every meal to be like, okay, let's chill chill out. Let's you know. Um, let's let go of any negative emotions. Let's look at the food, appreciate it. Let's turn off our phones. Let's, you know, like just realize why we're eating this food. So like instead of ordering the fried chicken and, you know, and fried French fries, we can be like, okay, let's get the, you know, grilled chicken with a salad or something. Yeah. So speaking of food, what was your food like daily there? So we had, let me think, breakfast was at um, about 6.30 is when we actually started eating. So we didn't have food until 6.30 in the morning. Um, and then we would have lunch at 11. Yeah. And what, uh, was, what was for breakfast? Uh, it was usually, it was Thai food. We actually had, interestingly, like it, for in most uh, Vipassana retreat, it's just vegetarian food. Mm-hmm. For us, there was uh, like a meat eater option as well. Um, because we, we asked about it. And because as you know, we, are going, we are going to talk about it, one of the precepts is that you're not allowed to kill anything. Uh-huh. But the idea is, and it's like written in other um, uh, Vipassana books as well, is that if you eat because you need the food, it's like it's different than when you kill it for pleasure. So there was uh, meat, but there was a lot of vegetarian option as well. And it was all Thai food. So, you know, rice for breakfast. <laughs> okay. But um, but it, it was absolutely like it, it was actually really good. We I definitely had this idea for some reason, which was just, uh, you know, prejudice, right? Mm-hmm. That because we're not supposed to, you know, we're not allowed to have any luxury um, or any any like pleasurable things that food was going to be very... Um, plain and boring mm. but it was it was actually absolutely nice we just were not allowed to eat after mid uh, midday yeah so we had to finish lunch by midday and then after that we were not allowed to eat anything we just we, we could just drink yeah it's so crazy like to think about it but literally our meals are 6 30 a.m and then 11 a.m and then that's it so from it. noon until 10 p.m well actually until i guess the next morning at 6 30 a.m there is a no no food at all that's a very intense fasting, yeah. Yeah. And, <laughs> and what was lunch like? Um, same, yeah. It it, okay. it was Thai food. It was actually like quite a lot of food, surprisingly. I think they they tried to make up for the fact that we we couldn't eat for so many hours, mm. but but we could eat quite a lot for lunch, like rice and usual Thai food, um, basically. Which uh, in the first couple of days, everybody was making the mistake of like eating as much as possible because we were very like, oh, we're not going to get food. We might as well eat everything we can, which is a terrible idea uh-huh. <laughs> because then, you know, if, if you eat too much, then you like get the food coma and it's like really like it's really, really not a good idea. But uh, but after a, a, few, a few days, you, you can actually get used to it. I'm not saying it was easy. <laughs> it was not easy at all, not eating in the evening, but uh, but you, you can get used to it after a few days. So what was funny is that I was so used to eat like the, the notion that I had to have breakfast right when I woke up or mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't be functional that I actually stole fruit <laughs> from lunch <laughs> and I would bring it back to my room and has, just so I could have like a banana or an apple or something like mm-hmm. first thing in the morning when I woke up at 4 a.m. And it's funny because now like, you know, 10 years later <laughs> almost – it's now 3 p.m. and I actually haven't eaten anything the whole day yet. And oh, wow. Yeah, because now I do like an intermittent fasting where I normally mm-hmm. have my first meal around this time, around 3 or 4 p.m. But 
it's funny that like back then I thought I, you know, I had to have it first in the morning or I would, you know, not be able to, to operate. Yeah. You, you know, even though technically I could have just waited until 6.30 a.m., which really isn't that big of a deal when I think, now I think about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's all about what you're used to. And I don't know about you, but I also definitely noticed too how food, like food can very much be, obviously that's not no surprise there, food can very much be a distraction. Mm-hmm. And I, I very often found myself when I was meditating in the afternoon and I was obviously, you get very much bored and you just want, you just want to find some kind of distraction because you really don't want to meditate anymore. Mm-hmm. And that's when, like when these uh, thoughts started to come up, that's when I got hungry. Like until that I was fine because I'm, like I usually don't eat that much. Um, but, um, but yeah, when I started getting bored, I suddenly wanted to go and eat food. And, and, and once I identified that this is just another craving, like this is not real because I had a lot of, you know, lots for lunch. Like there is no way I could actually need food or need calories. And, you know, you're not really moving much. So you're not really burning calories when you're there. Mm-hmm. Um, then, then the hunger kind of went away. So that, that was the point. It's like, okay, this is not real hunger. This is just me being bored yeah. and wanting distractions. And after that, I was not hungry, obviously, like until, yeah. That's a really, really good tip. And, and I remember, actually, so for us, it was a it was vegetarian-only meals. And mm-hmm. and I think we had learned from the, the monks that they're allowed to eat meat if, because, like, you know, the way the monks get food is they tithe. They, they walk around and mm-hmm. basically restaurants give them food. Uh, if the restaurants give them meat or fish, they're allowed to eat it. They're just not allowed to ask for it, you know. Because, um, mm-hmm. but then for us, yeah, it just happened to be vegetarian. I remember breakfast and lunch was actually they were very similar. Breakfast was something like a rice soup with a bunch of uh, it's like a brown rice soup with a bunch of vegetables in it, mm-hmm. and then lunch was like a rice. No, no, was was like brown rice, but with like a vegetable stew. So it was basically the same ingredients, just one was more watery. And <laughs> I remember it tasted really good. Like it was a lot of really fresh yeah. vegetables, and it was filling. It was delicious. And I actually remember thinking, if there was a way where I can just go somewhere and like pick this up twice a day, I would just be happy eating this, and and I wouldn't yes. be thinking about food all day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, I actually had the, had the same thought, and. Uh... And yeah, I, I don't normally have rice soup for breakfast either. But uh, but all this all those foods like there there are so many like different foods that I've never seen before, and and everything was absolutely delicious. And like surprisingly, because they didn't look like that, um, and everything was absolutely delicious. And and I would have been happy to have it the whole day, as you said. Yeah, it's it's kind of a a weird thing, but I. I... I really enjoyed it, and I think, but part of it was definitely because I wasn't doing anything. I wasn't expending any calories because I was just sitting there meditating all day. So then, obviously, I didn't need that many calories. It was just like yeah. a, it was just you know you're just there, you're just kind of going through life. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, the one thing I didn't, I really didn't like was we would have a drink at 5 p.m., but it wasn't like a healthy drink. It wasn't just like tea or something. It was literally Ovaltine, which is like chocolate oh. milk with sugar. <laughs> and I think, yeah. yeah, the reason why we would have it is, you know, they kind of want us to give us something like, you know, give us some energy during the day. But I think it kind of, mm-hmm. it's like, to me, it's like one of these silly rule, kind of rules where, yeah, technically we're not eating after midday, but we're having this sugary artificial drink, which I know it was Milo. Sorry, it was it was worse than Ovaltine. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, and it's like the the equivalent of like Nesquik chocolate, you know, uh, instant yeah. milk drink or something. 
And I thought... I think that's more like a Thailand thing, though, don't you think? Yeah. Like, in, in Thailand, they just love sugary, sugary things. Yeah. And I almost kind of think that, like, that, those are one of those rules where they... Even though technically it was within their precepts, you know, it's it's one of those things that you use kind of common sense and be like, okay, like that was like, we should, we, you know, what like it would would have been healthier if we would just have, I don't know, even if we ate, you know, or had some whole fruit or something would have been healthier than that. Yes. Yes. I, I didn't notice that too. So in the afternoon, we were only allowed to have, well, drinks like tea or coffee or uh, plain yogurt, like only like flavorless plain yogurt. But uh, but for lunch, we sometimes had a little like snack, uh, which was, you know, like a piece of chocolate or something, which I, I didn't really understand why they just like sometimes it would be a, a banana or some kind of fruit. But sometimes it would be like some muffin, uh, which I, I had the same thoughts. Like, why? Why do we eat unhealthy foods? Like, at least here, you know, they should encourage eating only healthy foods. Yeah. And, you know, and, and I guess we'll go over the kind of like the pros and cons of, of everything at the end. But it's one of those things where I realized that people will always kind of bend rules no matter <laughs> what it is. Yeah. You know, even even at a monastery, even as a, as monks, it's kind of like it's it's. I think it's human nature to, to take like a rule and be like, OK, let's, you know, let's interpret it our way. Did you break the speaking rule? So I did. And actually, I broke a lot of rules. <laughs> <laughs> and. I know this isn't the best thing to do, but for me, I think that overall I had such a good benefit from going to the Vipassana that, we, you know, even though I broke some rules, I think it was okay. Um, so I, I guess to go over all the rules I broke, <laughs> um, the first was instead of just not thinking about anything and just like truly meditating, I was so bored and I didn't know how to meditate and I thought, there's, you know, there's no way I'm going to do this instead of just having my mind be blank i decided you know what let me take this opportunity for the next 10 days to flash back my life from my first memory ever to my last memory it's quite nice actually yeah because I, I you know normally we don't have time for that it literally takes you mm -hmm. know days to do and what i learned from it was first was the happy memories you know graduations or birthdays or you know births or like you know really things that are exciting right falling in love mm -hmm. like really good memories were very, very hard to think of and to relive. It was mm -hmm. really hard to get that feeling again. Yes. Yet the angry or negative memories were so easy to relive mm -hmm. vividly and have that feeling again of anger. And I actually yeah. remember one of the memories I had was like from 10 years before of someone taking my parking spot in San Francisco. <laughs> And I, I, I was able to like remember her face and her car and like the conversation we had. And I remember I can feel that anger of being like, what is wrong with you? Cause she like clearly just stole the spot from me with no remorse. And even talking about it now, I can still kind of feel it, you know, and yes. it's so stupid. And like why? And I remember thinking, why is it that that silly, you know, inconsequential moment of someone who is you know was wronged was you know but at the same time like doesn't really affect my life in any way shouldn't take up any you know mental space why mm -hmm. why can i live that so vividly but i can't remember the good memories and right this is you know i thought this is so silly this is so stupid and i'm stupid for allowing myself to mm -hmm. have that take up my my emotions and my feelings so i had decided at that moment to go through all of them 
and just let them all go and just mm-hmm. and just completely forget about them. And I actually am very yeah. proud to say that up until this moment, I haven't even thought about that situation or you know really any of the other kind of negative emotions you know for uh, since like the vipassana because I had you know I had just let it go. Yes, I had a I had a similar experience actually. So around like day three, I started noticing like I was you know meditating so many hours a day that somehow my memory started working really, really well, like surprisingly well in a way that it doesn't normally. So initially it started just like randomly. I, I had thoughts popping in that, I don't know, like like things that I, I learned many years ago or like memories that I, I, I thought that I had long forgotten. And it all like came back, which was initially very nice. But then uh, because my memory was working so well, suddenly all the bad images started coming and it was really, really, really vivid, like so much more, like way more vivid than if I'm, you know, I'm just sitting here and I, I want to like think of something that happened 20 years ago. And yeah, like it was first really shocking because you're not really ready for this because it, like I, I didn't know that this would happen. So it was really, really shocking. And it's obviously really hard when suddenly you have all these bad images in your head and it's, it's like as if you were there right now. But um, but as you said, I also decided that like, okay, I'm here. And that's like, you know, it's one of the reasons why I'm here, because I want to let all these things happen. So I just like let everything come to me. And and it was like that that was definitely the hardest hour or I don't know, like few hours of of the whole 10 days. But I I decided that I'm just going to sit through it and just observe and and let it happen. And and it was also probably the best part of my vipassana as well. Oh, I'm so proud of you for doing that. That's amazing. Mm. And that, that's why it, it's hard when people ask. You know, uh, people would ask, like, "Was the vipassana good or bad?" And it, it's it's impossible both. for me to answer, right? <laughs> yeah. Like you, you can't say you can't say good or bad because, yeah, for, like I said, my worst moments was my best moments. Yeah. <laughs> you, you can't really uh, label it with these words. It's really really hard. To say it that way yeah it's, it's not like like oh did you know did you have fun there was it like you yeah know, was it deciding like no yeah. <laughs> it was no i didn't <laughs> i did not but yeah. it was worth it <laughs> but you know what? and you should do it too <laughs> yeah and actually i think uh it's so much that, like we go through life only wanting to be simulated like positively like go to disneyland yeah. or go to a concert or do something where we're being like entertained and you know it's like getting out you know um kind of external validation or external mm-hmm. positive uplifting kind of things and stimulation stimulation yeah exactly and it and you know but things like this are even more beneficial and, and even honestly like with like people who do ayahuasca or do peyote or do dmt i think that they have a lot of like the right mindset of wanting to explore themselves um, explore their lives and maybe become better uh, people because of it but even the fact that they feel like they need this external factor you know this drug or this shame shaman or this experience or even the fact that they have to go to this place it's it's kind of a crutch where i think that every single person who wants to do uh, like ayahuasca for example should first do the 10-day meditation you know, and get as much mm-hmm. out of that as possible. And then after that, if they still decide they, they want or they would get a benefit from doing ayahuasca, then they should do it. But I think so many people are like, okay, yeah, this, you know, I've heard great things, you know, this be easy fix. And not an easy fix, yeah. it'd be a, a difficult fix, but, you know, let me, you know, let me go try doing this first. Yeah. I think these substances like ayahuasca or like psychedelics can definitely be very beneficial. It's, it's definitely a shortcut. And it's way, like, it's way harder to tough out the 10 days and actually, 
you know, it's it's not like you take something and like you said, it's it's an easy fix. It's definitely going to happen. You have all these revelations either, you know, in, in one way or, in, or another, but you actually like have to show up on your, you know, on your mat and, and, and do the meditation for hours and hours and hours. Um, it's it's way, way harder to go through. Yeah, and, and I, I definitely think so, too, like as well. And so, but I guess at the same time, you know, like it's good that people want to figure themselves out, they better themselves. But I, I definitely would recommend, you know, everyone go through this first and then decide if they want to do it. Because there's a good chance that they're going to go through it and then be like, okay, you know what? I actually don't need um, a drug to, you know, or plant medicine, whatever they want to call it. I don't need this external factor to get this insight. I can get it, yeah, like within myself. Yes, and I, I love to recommend this book. So I'm going to do it now. There is okay. this book called Sailing Fire by, by uh, Stephen Kotler, which talks about all these altered states. And it actually like there is this part that says that when you do like a, a meditation retreat, like like vipassana or, or even longer, you can actually get to the same altered state and to the same you know get the same results as when you do psychedelics or ayahuasca. So practically, you can achieve the same thing. Yeah. So it's it's what you say. You you then realize you don't actually need this. Yeah, I can definitely see that. So, um, what about you? Did you break any of the rules? Um, so, let me think. I was definitely thinking. Yeah, I, I was, I was just. Uh, <laughs> uh, I don't think it's. I still don't think it's possible to not think about anything. And yeah. I was actually asking the monks there because you know I just, uh, I just wanted to know. Like I was afterwards asking, uh, like, does it? Like, can you actually do that? That you don't think of anything for like a day it's like no we can't so it's, uh, <laughs> and like they, they you know they, they would tell me that they still have bad days and they still overthink it's just like they just know how to control it and i i feel like that's the that's the key right not really like for, for me at least uh to my understanding the goal is not to ever think about anything but mm-hmm. to know how to control it mm-hmm. and know how to you know just be aware of what you're thinking about and not 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 um, get stressed and not get nervous and all these things but um yeah apart from that one th- one rule i broke but i'm actually happy i did is the no writing rule so mm. i definitely wasn't reading and speaking and listening to music and all these things and i understood and they told us on the first day that it's because you should you know I, the, the way that they put it and i really liked it what they said, told us on the first day is that you're you shouldn't talk or read to um not because you know we're mean or or because of the religion or anything, but because you're here not to get to know others, but to get to know yourself. Mm-hmm. And that that sentence really stayed with me the whole time. Like, yeah, if you if you read something that's somebody else's thoughts, even though it's it's good thoughts, it's somebody else's thoughts. Um, but with uh, writing, I couldn't like that's the only thing where I couldn't like understand this mm-hmm. idea. Like if if I if I journal. And I, you know, I wasn't going to write about, I don't know, a marketing plan or <laughs> writing a novel. I just, I just wanted to do some like very basic journaling. And I decided that I'm not, you know, I'm not going to write pages every day, just like a few sentences. But that I did, and that actually really, like, I'm, I'm really big on journaling. I love journaling yeah. uh, for, um, like, for like, uh, for introspective reasons, for self development, just like to, to, to jot down my own thoughts and. And yeah, I had like a very, like I actually bought a very, very tiny notebook with me, so I'm not tempted to write very long pages, but it was really nice to, to keep it on my bedside table and sometimes write down a few sentences. So that's, that's something I broke. Yeah. Uh, so I broke the same rule and, and normally, oh, yeah. And, I, and it wasn't, and I, at the time I never journaled I, n- I never really wrote and 
I took the time actually to write. It wasn't even for myself. I remember I wrote postcards uh, to both my parents and to my sister. And it was, I think at, at some point, I don't remember when it was actually it was. Maybe it was on day like six or seven or something. I really just wanted to tell them that I understood why they why they worried about me or the it's kind of like and I wanted to let them know that I appreciated everything that, that they, they've done before you know, and not just like assume that they know so for example for my parents you know I would write I wrote them a postcard saying like I appreciate you know you raising me appreciate you feeding me and like all the things that I I assume that you know but I don't know if I've ever really told you <laughs> You know, That's really nice. Yeah. yeah. And then at the end of it, I wrote, you know, um, and, you know, that all being said, there's also a few things that I wish that, you know, uh, would be different between us or that you would do. Mm-hmm. And one of the things was I told my parents, I said, I, you know, like, Dad, I like, I know that you love me because you raised me, you're my father, and you, you know, do all these things you sacrifice for me. But, and I know it's not part of your culture to, you know, to say the words, I love you. Mm-hmm. And I know your parents probably never said it to you because it's not part of their culture, but it would be nice to hear it just once. Mm-hmm. And I remember mailing the, those off. And the next time I had visited my parents, like months and months later, the first time ever in my to- entire life, in like, you know, almost 30 years at that point, at that point, like my dad super awkwardly, like <laughs> uncomfortably, but like, um, was opening the door for me or closing the door for me or something to go in the car. And he's like, Oh, uh, by the way, I, I love you. And they just like left. <laughs> oh wow, that, that's yeah. such a beautiful story. Yeah. That's incredible. <laughs> yeah, and it's really changed our lives. You know, our relationship. Mm-hmm. You know, and Definitely, they actually said, yeah. yeah. I remember them saying that, like that was the moment they realized I had grown up. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. Yeah. That's, that's really incredible. Yeah. So I I personally got so much out of it, even though I had broken these rules. You know, like the writing rule. I think mm-hmm. I don't know. Like part of me, like you know, as kind of the entrepreneur mindset. There's a lot of things that I want to like redesign about the live pasta and make it better or more streamlined. But at the same time, I think it's one of those things where even if it's not like optimized, maybe it's not supposed to be optimized. Maybe you're supposed to just kind of let it be. Yeah, and I think that's part of the process that you you think about what rules you want to break and what rules you want to follow and how you conform and and yeah. Yeah, because a big part of it is being able to take this back into the real world or our normal lives and not just being in this environment where everyone else is following the same rules or everyone else is yeah. in, in, in silence. Like for, you know, it's not going to be possible for us to live like that for the rest of our lives unless, you know, we become a monk or something. But absolutely, in general, it's about taking these lessons learned into our normal lives. Yes. Yes, I was also thinking about that too, that obviously I'm not like... I definitely got a lot out of the retreat and many things definitely changed, but I'm obviously not living the way I lived during those 10 days. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about the same thing that unless I, I just stay here, I move into the temple and become a nun, there is no way I can actually like keep everything, mm-hmm. but I can change. Like I can, I can move towards it yeah. and, and be better, like a, you know, 5% better, but not completely change, which I, I don't think is the point anyway. Yeah, I can see that. On our last day, when we were able to, talk that's finally when i heard everyone's voices and we actually went around and everybody shared what they had learned from the the the, the retreat did you guys do this, something similar no no we did not do that 
but we we did want to so we organized uh to meet up by ourselves in the city so so we okay. ended up doing that but it wasn't nice. like organized by the temple see that that's something that i think you know would be like an optimization hack to saying like do it like right away at the end but you know maybe they have the reasons but what, what were some of the things that you learned from um yeah just a comment to this by the way that yeah here's here's the difference because for me i i loved it that we didn't have to talk right away like i loved it when that we had the end Uh and i could just leave because by the time i wasn't speaking for 10 entire days i really was not looking forward to speaking to people so it took some time for me to readjust Hmm. and i mean you obviously know uh, like how like i'm a way more introverted person than you are Mm -hmm. so that's and i noticed that on people too like i noticed that on the people i was doing the retreat with that those who were more extroverted just, just was really looking forward to, to speaking finally. And the more introverted ones just like silently left. And, and yeah, I, I was one of them. I needed a little bit of time to adjust because that was way too overwhelming for me to talk to people I never spoke, be- spoke to before. Um, but then like a day later when we all went out to, or was it the same? Yeah, it was the same evening. We left in the morning. Then, uh, then it was really nice to share. Oh, nice. So, so see, yeah, it's uh, see, it's not the same for everybody. Yeah, that's another good point. Is that <laughs> yeah. like just because it works well for for me, like doesn't mean it, it works well for others. So that, that's yeah. good. Okay, so uh, we just learned a new lesson, Johnny. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> so I actually okay, so I had written down seven things I had learned, and I actually published this in my book, Twelve Weeks in Thailand: The Good Life on the Cheap. And it's funny because the book really had nothing to do with meditation. It had to do with like scuba diving and like doing Muay Thai and traveling cheaply in Thailand and partying and like the things that you want to do when you're like 20, you know, early 20s, right? You want to fight, Mm -hmm. you want to drink, you want to meet girls, you want to party, you want to like live cheaply. And I just included these few pages into the book just because I thought like, oh, it's something cool I did in Thailand. Let me, let me just have it there. And I remember so many people had commented, you know, on like were left reviews and, you know, or just told me that like those couple pages were like the most impact, you know, some of the most impactful pages of the book and that they're so glad that I included it. That's great. That's fantastic. And one of them was uh, being alone isn't the same as loneliness. Mm -hmm. And I actually remember it was actually the opposite of your experience where even though I had spoken to these people uh, on the last day and I had, you know, uh, got to hear, you know, their thoughts, pretty much everyone left like right away. I actually remember like people got on the bus like 10 minutes after it completely ended and I thought, oh my God, this is weird. I'm like completely alone now. I was, I was surrounded by these 15 or 20 people. And oh, wow. actually, no, I think we had started with 30 something people and at the end, we only had like less than 20 left. Mm-hmm. So like a third of the people dropped out. Uh, was it the same as yours? How many people actually made it through? Um, I think two people left. Okay. So we started 13 people and two people left. So it wasn't that bad. Yeah, that's not bad. Yeah. So mine, like a lot of but people But usually left. I hear, yes. Usually I, I hear that a lot of people leave, yeah. Yeah. And did you, at any point, did you feel like you wanted to leave? Oh, of course, yeah. <laughs> um, day two. So actually that, that was the hardest at the beginning when I, I was already over one day. I already got some benefits, you know, some insights, but it was getting like, you know, the t- time feels incredibly slow when you're there. It doesn't feel like 10 days. It feels like, yeah, way more. Like one day feels like a week. And when you're there, like it's only been two days, but you never felt like two days were this low. Oh, yeah. And you kind of start to think like, oh, what am I doing? And, you know, like I'm supposed to like, am I wasting my time? I should be doing work or read or whatever. I don't know. Uh, doing things. And and you, like I said, I was 10 minutes away from home. 
Mm-hmm. So, yeah, like I knew, like I made a promise to myself that unless like I have a really solid reason to leave, I'm not going to leave because I I heard these stories from people and I knew that this feeling would, would come. So I would I was prepared for that. Um, so so even when I was feeling that way, I knew I would, you know, tough it out and stay. But it was really hard. Like I had a few hours when it was really, really, really hard. And that's why it was like that. That was one of those times when it was really good to have my journal with me. Oh, good job. Yeah. I actually... How about you? I left. <laughs> I you left, didn't leave? I left on day five. I remember during one of the walking meditations, I just kept walking. And I like I walked into <laughs> into town. And I, I, you know, to be fair, I left my stuff in the in the room. So I, it, I was planning on coming back. But I, okay. I just had to get out of there. And I walked from there into like the closest town, which is, you know, probably a 30 minute walk. And it was actually a nice mm-hmm. walking meditation anyways. And I, <laughs> I got to town. And I didn't speak to anyone. And I remember, I don't know what I did. I think I, I ate something and then I looked around and it was so busy and there was so much happening. And I was like, you know what? Like, I'm going to go back. <laughs> like, this is... Were you in your meditation clothes the whole time? Yeah, I was. <laughs> Which is all white, if, if anyone yeah. is trying to imagine it. And I, but on the way back, I stopped by that Buddhist temple uh, that was right next door. The, the place I had stayed the first couple of nights. And mm-hmm. I found the monk that I had spoken to and I like I had so many questions for him. I was like, what's the point of this? What's the point of life? Like what is Buddhism? Like how do I meditate? Like I had all these freaking questions. Mm-hmm. And I remember that after I spoke to him, at first he was really calm, you know, which is which, which was nice cuz it calmed me down. And he didn't really give me any answers, but he kind of just like let me don't know that he understood. He understood mm-hmm. that like why I had these questions like that you know, that it was normal. And after I spoke to him for a few minutes, even though I don't think I actually got any like solid answers to anything, I felt much better. And I was like, okay, I'm going to go back. Thank you. know, thanks for, for, (laughs) for listening to me. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, that was technically breaking the rules, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, but for me, it was much needed because for the, the next five days, it was, it was much easier and I was able to stay. And I think that if I didn't, if I hadn't left for those few hours or spoken to that monk and, and broke that rule, I probably would have ended up quitting at that time. Mm-hmm. It was lucky you met him then. Yes. Yeah. Do you remember the first day when, um, the first day of meditation, how long uh, did you have to meditate for and how it felt? Oh God, I can't remember, but I, I remember like every, I mean, it was probably just one hour, but it felt like, eight hours okay because for us it was so we had to meditate on the first day it was only only well it's still a lot but we had to meditate for six hours but it was 15 <laughs> minutes 15 minutes sitting 15 minutes walking okay so one one meditation you know slot would be 15 minutes which doesn't sound like a lot right and i, I was also like i've been meditating for a while i usually do like 20 minutes and so i like when they said it's 15 minutes i thought it would be ridiculously easy but all we had was a timer. You know, there is no guided meditation, no headspace or anything. You just like sit there in a quiet temple uh, meditating. Plus, it, was, it wasn't a busy temple. So it's not really like one of the famous ones. And it's a meditation center. But people will still like come and go. So there is a lot of noise, which is actually like it's, it's a good thing to learn to meditate when there is noise. But when you're not used to it, it's, it's quite hard at the beginning. So you just sit there. There's nothing there. Just like maybe some people walking. Uh, and you have the timer with you and you set it for 15 minutes. And I remember the first day and it turns out everybody else had the same experience. Like I was just thinking that I'm pretty sure I forgot to, you know, hit start on the <laughs> timer because I think I've been sitting here for a whole hour 
and it's like I, it still doesn't go off. And I looked at my timer, and there was still twelve minutes left. Wow, that's so funny. <laughs> yeah. On the last day, we were we were doing like one hours, you know, one hour of each meditation, like doing it for twelve hours. And it was obviously much easier. Like I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't glance at my timer only just every once in a while and only after like 45 minutes. So it was definitely, that was a very, very big progress. But on the first day, it was ridiculous. And, and yeah, when I, when I got to bed, I was so exhausted. Like I, did, I, I got to bed and I, I fell asleep straight away. It was really, really exhausting. How, what was, that, yeah. Sorry. But sorry, what were you going to say? Uh, yeah, so that... Um, it's just like how much my uh, concentration and I guess my discipline, my concentration uh, improved in 10 days. Yeah. Then after that, when I came out and started working or, you know, doing anything, just reading a book or, or any of these things, I really noticed like, wow, I usually like when I read a chapter, I, I would still like look at my phone or check my time or something. It's like, oh, I actually read a whole chapter without like getting distracted or I'd be working here without, you know. I really, really noticed it on on the way I work. Yeah, it's it's so crazy that nowadays we are so distracted that we can't even sit through an hour and a half movie or even a thirty minute TV show without being on our phones. Yeah, like it's so ridiculous that like we are being entertained by this movie or this TV show, yet we feel and we like still need yeah distraction from the distraction. Yeah, right? like just be- yeah. yeah, like just because it's like a little bit slow during Game of Thrones sometimes doesn't mean we should need to pick up our phones and scroll through Instagram or Facebook. If anything, yeah. it ruins the show, it ruins the movie, ru- ruins that exactly. immersion. Exactly, and I, I actually went to the cinema to the movies a few days after my Vipassana with a uh, new Vipassana friends and. Yeah, like I came out of the of the movies. Like I actually watched the whole movie without looking at my phone. Oh like my I, that, that's really good. <laughs> and you know, I actually remember the whole whole movie, and I didn't get like I didn't uh, check my time or anything. I just I just watched the thing. That was <laughs> which uh, should be normal, right? Yeah. Usually it isn't. And then you look around, and everybody is doing that. Like everybody would be on their phone in the in the like in the cinema, and everybody would be like talking and looking at each other and just like okay yeah I, I really think that every single person in the world every human being in the world would benefit so much from going through a vipassana yeah I, I like i almost feel like it should be like this mandatory part of growing up i, I know for thai people they yeah. have a mandatory like serving of being a, a monk for a certain amount of time you know sometimes i think it's pretty short sometimes it's a few months i think when they turn 18 or something yeah but actually, uh, in this temple, Batramphorn, where I was, there were uh, a lot of kids, which was uh, which is really nice to see. They would like they, they the rules for them weren't as strict as it was for us. Like they were still, you know, they 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 could still talk to each other and stuff. But they were still meditating a lot there, wearing the white clothes and you know just uh, behaving. And it was actually really nice to see. Yeah. That's cool. What what are your beds like? Oh, <laughs> very very simple. Like the whole bedroom, I actually have uh, pictures I took it on the uh-huh. last day. It was basically a piece of wood uh-huh. and some like I don't even know. I wouldn't call it a mattress. That would be a bit of an exaggeration, uh-huh. but something like a very thin and very very hard mattress. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, so it was very basic. But and like I had a fed, and I, I actually had a tiny bathroom in there, so that oh, was wow, that nice. was quite nice. I didn't. Didn't expect that, but uh, but then because so yeah like obviously my my back was very like I, I was in a lot of pain during the day uh-huh. from all the sitting, 
But then, like when I woke up in the morning, uh, as I was sleeping on the bed, which was really strange when I first uh, lie down, mm-hmm. my back wasn't hurting anymore because that like really hard bed was really good for my back. Yeah, it actually is. It's it's so crazy. So that... I ended up appreciating it. Yeah. Yeah, like we all want the softest, you know, like most comfortable mattress. We want like you know these like memory, memory foam, foam things. Yeah. yeah, like these soft tops. But really, like in reality, having a like hard surface is actually best for our back and i think the only reason why we want these soft ones is so we can sleep on our sides or in our stomachs which actually isn't healthy we're supposed to sleep on our backs yes yeah Yeah. so that was uh like first it was a bit you know like a bit strange i knew what to expect but it was still like all right uh but then then it was actually really nice (laughs) i really liked it so and mine was actually worse we had a wooden mattress <laughs> so it's just oh, like the mattress was well I, was well I guess there's no mattress oh, wow. it, was, it was just a plank of wood and <laughs> to make it worse they gave us a wooden pillow a wooden pillow okay yes. that, that's quite hardcore yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I cheated there as well I, I took a shirt or something to make a to wrap around the pillow to make it a bit softer <laughs> but like it was the same I remember writing down that my back felt so much better from it so mm-hmm. yeah yeah so the one thing that I really – the first thing I had noticed um, was when we – so we had chores every day. Did, what was your chore? Or did you have one? The sweeping on the – yeah, sweeping the floors. Okay. The common areas. So mine was sweeping the leaves. It was kind of like raking. And mm-hmm. I remember everyone had a different chore. Like some people had to clean the bathroom. Some people had to like you know sweep the front or the inside or outside, whatever. And I remember on the very first day – when we would go into our dorms, we would take off our shoes and kind of just leave them all over the place. And then the very next day, we had noticed that the guy who had to sweep that front part had to first move all of our shoes, you know, uh, and put them like somewhere, like 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 put them somewhere nice so he can sweep. And uh-huh. normally we would have went our whole lives. I mean, like ye- like years, never noticing that or changing it. We're like, okay, we're just gonna take off our shoes here and just go inside. If I like. I don't care what the cleaner has to do. This is like, that's their job, right? Yes. The very next day, not a, like not a single person left their shoes like on that front where he had to move them. Every single person put them away nicely. Without wow. us talking to each other, there was no acknowledgement. There was no sign that someone put up saying like, please put your shoes away. We just had so much like time and uh, mindfulness that we, every single person, like 25 people noticed that this guy had to, you know, move these shoes or had someone had moved their shoes to somewhere like proper and not mm-hmm. a single person from that, you know, that day four for the next 10 days, put their, you know, like made this guy's job harder. Yes. Just uh, with a bit of mindfulness, you can appreciate uh, other people's work so much more. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. Wow. Mm-hmm. So they're like, I, I know we've been going for a long time and we actually didn't even go through like all the... I think we could spoke for like five more hours about this topic, yeah. honestly. Yeah. <laughs> But, like, I guess to kind of wrap it up more is who would you recommend this to and who would you, rec- like, not recommend it to? Mm, okay. Well, I wouldn't say everyone. Like, I would – okay. Everybody should do it, but not not necessarily right now. And I'm also happy, like I said at the beginning, I'm happy I didn't do it when I wasn't feeling ready. I think – I don't know, like, maybe it would have been good still, but I I think you should, like, feel ready to do this. And – um. 
I think it's nice to have a little experience with meditation. You didn't, and you still benefited a lot from it. But um, but you're right. But yeah, like when, it, it would have been but, a, it would have been much yeah. easier if I had learned to meditate first. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and I also like so there is this book I read before I went to the retreat, and especially if you do my kind of retreat, this Mahasi one, which is so the the other one, the Goenka is what I guess that's what you did, Johnny, where they play the tape recordings and and all that. Well, so really- so in mine there is like much less much much uh, less teachings yeah. and um, and lectures, which which was good because then we weren't distracted by that. Mm. We had more time for meditation. But then if you're new there, you don't know what's going on. Yeah. And I read this book, which was written by like based on the teachings of Goenka called The Art of Living by, by William Hart. And I 100 percent recommend it for everybody who's going. It's really going to like prepare you mentally for um, for what you can expect. And and yeah, I think I think if you just just sort of know what to expect and you and you're open enough to want to explore your own, you know, like how you work and your own mind and you're not going to run away from bad stuff coming up, then, then yeah, like go for it, definitely, for, any, for anybody. Yeah, and I would definitely recommend uh, also learning how to meditate properly before trying it a little bit or getting used to meditating for 10, 10 20 minutes uh, using Calm or Headspace or on your own before you go. I would definitely recommend reading The Art of Living or, you know, any, you know, really any like Buddhist kind of book where you at least understand um, mm-hmm. what it's about. Because even though we had a lecture on day three or four or something, for the first three days, there was, there's no guidance. So I think it was, mine was almost mm-hmm. kind of like a hybrid between the two where we had maybe two or three lectures during those 10 days. But the mm-hmm. rest of the time, we were kind of left to our own device. And it would have been better if I understood uh, a little bit about the teachings before I went, and I guess that being said, you don't have to be religious, you know, or you no, like, cool. yeah, like to go. It's it's one of those those teachings where actually it's funny. I remember going to a monk and saying, uh, "I would like to convert to Buddhism," and he's like, mm-hmm. he's like, "Oh, you don't have to convert. Like, just be a good person." And I was like, "What? Yeah. No, no, no. Like, like you know, can you give me like a wafer or like <laughs> swear me in or you know, like if you ever go to a church and you say you want to convert, like they will bring you on stage that second and like <laughs> yeah. and you know convert you. It's the holy water, yeah, yeah. You know, but the with Buddhism, it's like it's not a religion, so it's kind of just like he's like, yeah, yeah, just be a good person, you know, like you know, if you want to like, yeah, if you want some books, we have some books, but no, I'm not going to convert. It's really, anymore. more of a philosophy, right? Yeah, and." Like, I guess that being said, I would recommend the Vipassana to every single person, as you said, but also I want people to be ready, for, like, I guess, mm-hmm. prepare a bit first and make sure that you have, that you're able to go, to go for those 10, 10 days without checking your email or without having any distractions or obligations. Uh, yes. Like, yeah. how were you able to, oh. yeah, how were you able to do that? Yeah, I just uh, remembered a very useful tip because, um, yeah, so before I was, you know, obviously wanted to make sure that these 10 days nobody's going to, um, you know, need me for any work or anything. So I, I sent emails to everybody. I'm not going to be available. I set up this automated email response uh, responder. So anybody who would email my uh, my personal email address uh, would get this automated email the time away for 10 days, which like, you know, somebody decided to abuse it and they had my phone while I was in there. <laughs> so uh, I would definitely recommend uh, making sure that everything you have is absolutely safe and you have all these like, you know, two factor authentication set up. And uh, what happened is that when I, I finished the course, 
And that's when they, they gave my phone back, which was actually not a nice feeling. Like I was really happy without my phone and I really didn't want to have it back. But then I turned it on. And the very first thing I see is that somebody stole like $500 from my uh, Apple account. Wow. Uh, yeah. But although that that's also a very good story. Uh, like luckily everything is sorted. It was definitely not a nice thing to see first thing. But then because I was in such a different state of mind. Uh, right after the 10 days like I was incredibly calm and you know oh, nice. very just conscious and I looked at the thing and I remember actually thinking like this would normally really piss me off right like yeah. I would get really stressed and like oh my goodness I'm going to solve it this is terrible I'm in Thailand my account is Hungarian and none of this came like I just looked at it and like okay this is bad now let's find a way to solve it. And I just, you know, called the customer support, like, hello, this happened. They actually, like, on the customer support call, they told me, like, wow, like, I, want, I really want to say thank you because normally when people phone in for this reason, they, don't, they are not this calm. So yeah. they, they were actually, like, I really just want to say how much I appreciate it. Wow, good job. And, and, yeah, that, that was so, and that, that was, you know, the, the first proof that, okay, this was actually really, really worth it. Like, I already knew, obviously, but that was a, a real-life proof, like, okay, you can actually solve problems without the stress. And I ended up, you know, like within a few hours, the problem was solved and I I actually got all my money back, which was also, you know, also lucky. Wow, but good job. But it sounds like even if you didn't get that $500 back, it would have been like a good, almost worth it, like the lesson learned. Yeah, exactly. Like I I don't consider it as a bad story because of how, like the, the lesson it taught me. Like, yes, if I had spent an hour stressing and worrying and you know or like getting angry it's like oh i can't believe this happened when i was away why did i even do that it would have taken way longer for me to get my money back and probably i wouldn't have had a clear head to like actually know what steps to take but But because none of this came my head Mm. was absolutely clear so i could just think very clearly and i i I got the problem solved and i i try like i still have this with me luckily like nothing like this happened ever since but but I still like if something minor comes up, I can still remind myself like, okay, let's let's uh, remember this uh, this lesson. Yeah. And I think it's been really useful. I'm, yeah, I'm so happy that you did that. That's like that's amazing. Like that's something it that had to, all I'm of us so can happy learn. It happened. It, it had to happen. I'm yeah. so happy it happened. But uh, I'm I'm almost grateful for the person who had that. <laughs> <account>. <laughs> well, um, how did they actually do it? Like, no. was was there anything that you could have done to have prevented uh, yeah, it? Yeah. So I was I was stupid because uh, because I travel so much and um, yeah. So I keep changing my SIM card. I didn't have the two factor uh, authentication. Is it how it's called? Yeah. Thing turned on on my iPhone. Okay. Uh, because yeah, I just I just came back to Thailand not long before the Vipassana, so I didn't wanna you know I didn't change my phone number. So I was like you know what's what's the worst that could happen? I didn't think of <laughs> of uh, of somebody hacking my account, and and yeah, they just told me basically that yeah, just every time you go to a new country, it's okay that you get a new phone number. You can always change it, but make sure it's always turned on. And and yeah, I just like added a different card to my Apple account, which doesn't have much money on it. So, so I just like removed my main card from all the online transactions. So I, you know, did some security, um, you know, a little research on how to how to secure my account more. Okay, well, good but job. definitely, yeah, in, in Apple you can. I'm, I'm sure you can do it for Android too, but, but in Apple you can turn in the the the, the two factor uh, authentication. So every time you want to pay, you would get a text message, or you would have to. 
you know, approve it first. Okay. Well, good job. I, I actually made the mistake of doing the opposite of you. I didn't tell anybody that I was doing this type oh, really? of meditation. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I think that okay, the reason why I didn't tell anyone is I was so tired of always having to answer to other people and having like outside stress that I just wanted to do this without any input from anyone. And also mm-hmm. without, um, you know, I, I think it was almost kind of like rebelling and I felt mm-hmm. bad because I didn't tell my parents and normally oh, wow. at the time, you know, I would go 10 days without talking to them. So I actually had spoken to them the day before, but I didn't mention it. I was like, okay, I'll talk to you later. And normally if 10 days went by, it'd be fine, except that they tried to call me three days in and then they couldn't reach me. And then they tried again the next day and then the next day and then they oh freaked my God. out. And luckily, what happened then? luckily I had mentioned it somewhere like on my blog or something and my cousin had read it and my parents had called like all my relatives to kind of figure out like where I was. And he said, oh no, he's at this meditation. And oh my God. so <laughs> I, if I could have done that differently, I would have definitely told them. And cause yeah, it's, definitely uh, tell your yeah, parents. <laughs> it's unfair to have them stress about it. Yeah. Yeah. But I do remember though, that I was so stressed and worried that I would come out of it and I would have so much work to do or so many emails or so many like messages oh, yeah. or something. And it actually wasn't that bad. That bad. It was fine. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot yeah. of times we stress about these things. And in reality, it's not worth stressing. Yeah, it, it, we worry before it even happens, right? Yeah. That, that's one of the, the main like ideas of, of Buddhism and the meditations. Like we always think about what, what can go wrong in the future. And we always think about what went wrong in the past, right? Mm-hmm. Instead of trying to stay present. And yeah, definitely. I, was, I had the same thing. Like I actually, that was another reason when I, I messaged everybody. Like I obviously, like I did want to check in with my parents and my best friends too, because we would normally talk uh, more often than every 10 days. But, but yeah, I, I wanted to make sure that everybody knows because I didn't want to get a ton of emails. Like you said, like I, I really wasn't like, I knew that I would hate turning uh, my phone on after 10 days and getting a ton of messages and people like, where are you? We're trying to reach you. Yeah. Da, 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 da. But then like, so that, that's why I did it. But then, um, yeah, like when, when you then read your messages because you're so much calmer and you like worry so much less and don't really care that much about these things. Mm-hmm. It's actually fine. Yeah, it's I love it. Fine. All right, so... Did you? Huh? Go ahead. <laughs> um, yeah, I just remember something. When when you came out of the, the retreat, did you notice that everything, like for, for a few, the first few hours or the first few days, uh, everything was much louder and... Yes, you know, just, 100%. Yeah. 100%. And I actually remember I had dinner by myself that night uh, because it was the opposite where everyone had left. And I remember sitting there and it was good because I had a lot of time to reflect. But also, even though I was in the small town and there wasn't that much happening, I just remember there's so much going on and so much input. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, but I, I think to kind of sum, sum it up is I, I know now that I don't want to be a monk. <laughs> and I honestly, I don't like, you know... I'm sure, like everyone has their own reasons for for doing things, but I really think that like the kind of one of the the purposes of being a monk is to not do any harm to yourself or to others and kind of just go through life. Mm-hmm. But you know, which is kind of almost like net new, trying to be net neutral almost. But for me, mm-hmm. I'd rather like have both the positive and try to eliminate the negative impacts in the world or the people around me. But like try to have the, the positive things and not just try to go through life without you know yes. you know with, without uh you know damaging any grass or something you know what i mean yeah so for me i'm i'm very happy i'm not a monk 
Uh, I would never like want to go through that. And I think it's kind of extreme when people do. Um, but at the same time, I think I've taken a lot of those lessons learned into my normal life. And I think that's something that has really benefited me even almost 10 years later now. And I think this is something that everybody would benefit from as well. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, we have to wrap this up because it's been really long. But um, if people want to uh, kind of learn more, uh, the official website for Vipassana is dharma.org. Uh, I will have links to it in the show notes. Um, the book that uh, Alexandra had mentioned is The Art of Living. And her journal, uh, she has two. One is called The Morning Mindset, a daily journal. And also The Growth Planner by Grit Journals. We'll have links to all these in the show notes. And if you guys want to read my book, 12 Weeks of Thailand, The Good Life on the Cheap, chapter seven in that book is all about the seven lessons I learned from the Vipassana as well as basically a whole chapter about uh, about us. If you're If you enjoyed this episode, definitely read the book. You can get that at 12weeksinthailand.com or on Amazon, and we'll have links to all this in the show notes. So, Alexandra, thanks so much for coming on. I really enjoyed talking about this. Yeah, me too. Thanks for having me. Great. Yeah, and I think a lot of people are going to benefit from this episode if uh, if you guys actually listened to this whole thing. Um, you know, thank you for doing so because I know it was it was long, but I hope you got a lot out of it. Um, you can test your patience and yeah. your attention <laughs> if you can, if you made it through. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And Alexandra, I'm, I'm so happy that you were on this episode, but also that you're part of the Nomad Summit and that you're a friend and that you're just part of my life. So I appreciate you so much and I love you so much. So thank you so much for coming on. Thank you very much. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, of Hope course. See you soon. All right. See you soon and see all of you uh, listening as soon as well. I appreciate all of you for listening, for leaving reviews, for telling friends about the show. And I love all of you for listening and for being part of this journey. So hope to meet all of you in person somewhere, whether it's at the next Nomad Summit or maybe somewhere in the world. So take care. See all of you next week. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Travel Like a Boss podcast. If you want to hear more, including the bonus, how to choose the perfect niche episode, join our mailing list at travellikeabosspodcast.com. See you next week. And remember, if you want to travel like a boss, you need to be your own boss. So start your online business today and start living the lifestyle you've always dreamed of.